Well, I have a ton of things I wanted to share with you. I actually reduced my message down to uh, pretty small because I thought, you know what? If I share everything I want to share, so it's going to take two or three messages. We'll see. I don't even know how many exactly. But uh, to go through this with you so you can understand biblically and make sure maybe you already are, uh, but most people aren't. Most prophecy experts aren't even uh, putting it together uh, with regard to the ultimate picture, I believe, that's explained very clear to us in Scripture uh, where a lot of these pieces fit together. As far as what human being fulfills certain roles, it depends who's in a specific office at that time and what have you. So we don't literally pay, play pin to tail on the Antichrist until it becomes very, very clear because he'll have a number where he's identified with the number of a man, which is 666, right? So it's important to keep our eyes on what's going on because uh, there's a lot of heavy, a lot of really heavy things going on right now that we should be tuned into. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to cover certain things that I wanted to cover this Sunday that I was really excited about next Sunday because there's other stuff I'm really excited about that I don't want to just go over real quick and with only a small percentage of people understanding what I said because I've covered so much ground and you're just dizzy at the end. Well, that was a good feeding, but what was message was about this, but, and you're just like, there's like 50 things in your brain, right? So we're going to, you know, it's already going to be difficult enough to, to, to comprehend to a degree, but God wants us to understand these things. So I'm going to take it kind of slow and uh, get into it a bit. And, you know, so we do know, and the world's in uproar right now uh, because of a lot of what's going on. And Russia has invaded the Ukraine, a sovereign nation uh, who we had promised to protect many years ago with a specific alliance our country, along with the UK, in ways that we are really not protecting them. We're slapping them with sanctions, which that's never really stopped uh, Putin much before. In fact, he expects that uh, and so forth. So it uh, makes you feel good when you hear the word sanction, maybe a little bit, but it doesn't do much with a guy like him. Do you think he didn't think that would happen? He has nefarious plans. Uh, at the same time, uh, when we look at Putin, uh, we always want there to be a good guy and a bad guy. <coughs> But it's not that simple. It's a bit, of, a bit of a complex situation because there's also a lot of globalists involved, right? A lot of, you know, world bankers, people with money, people that love uh, war because it funds them uh, or people that uh, want to uh, dictate or bring the world together as one uh, who don't like, of course, uh, uh, you know, anybody to stand in the way of this one world government that they want. And of course, China and Russia are more nationalistic. So that's a problem for them. Well, what side are you on? I and you hopefully belong to the kingdom of God, amen? Our citizenship is in heaven, amen? All right? And I'm a citizen of the United States second to that. And I only listen to the United States as far as, it li as, as unless they tell me something contrary to the word of God, amen? I'll be the best citizen I can, but as soon as you tell me I can't fellowship anymore, I have to take the mark of the beast, you know, anything that's contrary to what the word of God says, I'm not going to obey you, Okay? You don't have to say those things publicly, Joe. You're on tape. Hey, that's, I, that's who we are as Christians. We, Jesus comes first by far, amen? And I would love to think that our country was a God-fearing country, but having slaughtered over 60 million babies, the most innocent among us through the years, this country needs to repent, amen? So let's not pretend that our country does not deserve and is not ripe for the judgment of God, amen? Having said that, uh, in this particular war that's going on right now that could involve... Uh, all of Europe and even become a third world war, as many people are concerned, uh, that's a huge concern. And, uh, you, you know, Jesus said we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves, amen? 
Uh, so here we have Russia invading, not loving Ukraine, but invading Ukraine and trying to take it over. Of course, there's been a few that I've written down because I've written down kind of the more popular uh, reasons as to why they've entered the Ukraine. I've written down four of them, you know. And number one, uh, which I think is a joke, is what Putin said, uh, is that there are a bunch of neo-Nazis and they're committing mass genocide. And we've got to get in there to stop the mass genocide against the Jews. This is kind of ridiculous because the Jews are not being put to death all over Ukraine. There's a ton of Jews in Ukraine, many in high places. And uh, in fact, their leader is a Jew. Okay. So to say that they're Nazis and they're committing genocide uh, is absolutely ridiculous. And uh, his other reason was, well, we're going in there as a peacekeeping group, you know. Well, so I guess I have five. Those are the first two. I'm going to let him speak first, get the first two, and they're both just utterly ridiculous, okay? If you believe peace means you guys taking over Ukraine. Uh, so the next three I'm going to give you, I believe there's probably some truth to each of them to lesser or greater degree for each reason, uh, is that they want a, their oil pipeline to go right through Ukraine, okay? Because right now it goes around through the sea and it's ex expensive, it's dangerous, it's not totally absolutely going to be under the control as much as it would be as if it was going through Ukraine and they were on top of that soil and it'd be a lot cheaper. Uh, that's another reason a lot of people believe they've entered in. Uh, a th uh, that would be a, uh, and another reason would be, well, we want a more of a buffer. We want a buffer between us and uh, the NATO alliance, which is so, most of the nations in Europe are part of uh, the, you know, uh, NATO, which is this alliance of nations that have nuclear weapons, most of, many of them, and are tied together. So if one of those nations gets attacked, the United States included, or one of those NATO nations gets attacked in Europe, they all join together and they attack Russia or China, whoever it would be. And uh, the idea is that for many, many uh, years now, Ukraine wants to be, you know, part, accepted into NATO, which has been something the Russians have forbidden for years because then they would have potentially nuclear missiles right there on, in Ukraine's land, right next to them. I mean, kind of think of it this way. We had a hard time thinking the Russians were going to arm Cuba a little ways away from Florida, at least, over the sea with nuclear missiles. We didn't want that, and we definitely wouldn't want... Uh, Mexico to uh, become an ally with Russia and all of a sudden a bunch of nukes go there, right? We wouldn't accept that. So they say it's because we want this buffer. However, the argument against that is that there's no movement towards seriously allowing them into NATO and giving them nuclear weapons and so forth. But they say, well, we're concerned about that. Uh, uh, well, I don't know about that, but to a degree that there's probably some truth to that. Um, but I don't believe that's necessarily the main reason. I don't believe it is the main reason personally. Another uh, idea is that, number five, is that Putin wants to restore the former USSR. He came in from law school as a KGB agent. That's how he started his career. It was equivalent to our CIA. And as an agent of uh, the KGB, he rose to power. Uh, <laughs> if you could look at his history, it's pretty nefarious. And now uh, he he's reminisced over and over again about how sad it was that the USSR crumbled. Because remember, Russia was called USSR and it was a Soviet, uh, but it was socialist. That's one of the S's with the Soviet in there. Uh, communist, uh, which is really weird watching us go towards socialism. 
you know, and it just crumbled under its own weight and then also trying to keep us up with us, building weapons during the Cold War, and it disintegrated. Uh, I believe there, and, and he's talked often and reminisced about how they lost that and how he'd like to rebuild that. But I believe it goes a step further. I believe personally that he wants to rebuild the, the, the Russian Empire, okay? He wants to build the Russian Empire, which preceded by centuries the USSR, because he's also reminisced about that. And that was much larger than the USSR. And we'll be talking about that in the next message when we get into the nitty-gritty of what's, of what's going on with the boots on the ground and, and, and so forth. Uh, because I believe there's truth to the last few, probably, to one degree or another. Uh, but I do believe that we need to watch out for uh, his aspirations. If I believe, he, well, I know he's at least talked about this and he has aspirations for this. So this, this could be a move in that direction. Now, keep in mind, they were saying they're not even going to go in, right? Now they're in. You can't believe them. I mean, they're politicians, you know? And now, uh, so they say, oh, no, we're just going to, you know, demilitarize them, you know? Then, you know, everything's cool. No, you guys are taking them over. You'll put up a puppet regime. And they've gone into Georgia, remember, uh, Chechnya, okay? They've been in Syria uh, with Assad, helping with the civil war there against, you know, ISIS. Uh, they've, in, they've infiltrated a lot of uh, various areas, uh, which we'll be talking about a little bit. Uh, but I think it's important that we realize how this is just happening before our very eyes. See, a lot of uh, the liberals thought, oh, you know, you know, oh, we're in a new age, you know, everybody's sophisticated, more sophisticated now, we're further along, and, you know, we'll build the weapons of wind turbines and solar panels and, and just forget about, you know, uh, protecting different nations and so forth, and a lot of the European nations, liberal nations, progressive nations went that route where they weren't focused on being concerned about Russia. In the meantime, Russia has grown in power. They've grown in, they're not a huge economic power, but they have huge economic sway over Europe. And that's because about 41% of the natural gas that they have, or their energy, comes from Russia, those nations. In fact, Germany was really, really hesitant to get involved in even supporting, which is pretty close to them, Ukraine at all. Because they had the pipeline, that's where they're going to be getting their, 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 their oil, right? Or their, 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 uh, the pipeline from uh, Russia. So they're, 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 they've got oil from the sea, they've got natural gas, they've just they're incredibly enriched. And it's not an accident, you know. I believe the chessboard is set up that way and that God ultimately is in control. And that the nations around, don't. a lot of these nations, if you look at Italy and a lot of other nations, even Israel doesn't want to, Israel doesn't want to support Ukraine. Now, they were involved in the Holocaust in Germany. Think of any nation, they'd be like, wait, we definitely want to, you know, support Ukraine. We've got a lot of Jewish folks there. But there, it's, a, it's very complex because the leadership in Israel right now is very concerned about Russia because Russia is on its border in Syria. And Syria hates, many of them, Muslims, hate Israel and their allies. What's Russia doing over there? You know? And... The leadership in Israel, unless things have changed in the last couple of days, they've been with saying, ah, you know, we don't, they're not getting involved, you know, uh, because, you know, Putin is on their border. They've amassed weapons on their border and so forth. And uh, Iran, who wants to destroy Israel, is in Syria. And Israel made some attacks against Iranian fortresses bedded down in Syria because they're aligned with, of course, 
Putin too. That's where this starts to get very, very biblical, okay? These alliances. And it's really fascinating when you look at this in Scripture, what the Bible says it would look like in the end times and what's happening right now. I just, I look at it in so many different things that are happening around the world. I'm just blown away because of how well they line up. I mean, of all the different Muslim nations that would be aligned with Russia and be the biggest threat toward Israel, it makes sense when you read uh, the, the, the Hadiths by the Shiites, which happen to be the most militant in regard to having a future leader come based on extra-Quranic revelation and the, uh, basically the destruction of Israel uh, happens to be Syria and Iran. Okay? They have to, most of the other Muslim nations are Sunni. Okay? And I believe a lot of these guys will be caught up in this whole thing at the end, especially when you read uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39 with Gog and Magog, and you read Isaiah, or I'm sorry, uh, you read uh, the book of Psalms, chapter 83, and the different nations that are listed there uh, that are to destroy or seek to destroy Israel. It gets really crazy. But at the same time, when this leader, and there's peace that's made at first with regard to a certain leader uh, in the book of Revelation, or uh, Revelation and Daniel and so forth, this leader actually is accepted at one point. So it's interesting to see the alliances. Uh, so let's, now we're going to start getting into some, some scripture in a minute, but please understand this. We put Ukraine in this position, our country, in a lot of ways. Do you know that? Because they had all kinds of nukes and they were, the Soviet Union was united with all these Baltic states and so forth. And, and then in, when Glasnost happened under Reagan, when they lost the arms race in the Cold War and they realized they couldn't compete uh, with Reagan in building up arms, you know, uh, basically Glasnost opened this. They just, you know, be, said, okay, wait, we're not giving up all our nukes and stuff, but we're going to allow, allow a bit more democracy and freedom and so forth, supposedly, right? Uh, and it just allowed the USSR to disintegrate where you just had Russia now and then had sort of influence over certain states there. But guess what? Ukraine next to them, guess how, how many, does anybody remember? Does anybody know how many missiles they had, nuclear missiles? 5,000, Ukraine. 5,000. Some of those were long-range missiles with 10 nuclear warheads apiece. And each of those warheads was more powerful than the warheads or the bombs that fell in uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima. I mean, they, so all they have to do is point their missiles, most of them, if not all of them, at Russia, and this would never be happening, right? Because Russia's like, well, we would just be annihilated if we attack them, and they just pull, you know, hit, hit the button. But guess what we did? When I say we, I don't mean you personally. Don't take it personally, okay? The United States, with Clinton, working with Russia and the UK, because Russia wanted them to get rid of those and Russia said, told the U.S., yeah, we won't attack them, you know. We'll never, we'll never enter into Ukraine. And Clinton tried to talk them out of keeping those weapons. In 1994, they finally agreed because Clinton and the U.K. signed documents that we would protect them if Russia invaded them. And by 1996, they didn't just give up their 5,000 nuclear missiles. They gave them to Russia. Yeah, crazy stuff, right? So, uh, that accord that we would protect them was reaffirmed later when Obama was president and so forth. And uh, here we are now. Of course, when Obama was president, they went into Crimea, uh, part of Russia, 
and annexed it, and, or part of Ukraine at the time, and annexed it, and now they make it part of Russia. Uh, while they didn't go into Ukraine anymore, uh, while Trump was president, they did go into Syria and to establish a, a, a uh, uh, in, in, the, in the civil war there, we financed and, you know, we worked kind of, there were both sides being worked by both factions, but now they have a strong military presence in Syria. And now that Biden's president, they thought, oh, we can take off a bit more than we did under Trump for sure. And now they've actually entered into the Ukraine. Now, this is all crazy because uh, you remember too, when Obama was president, he said to the Ru Russian president, uh, right before Medved, uh, who is basically a pawn of, you know, of Putin, he said, you know what? Uh, and he was caught on the hot mic. Don't worry, you know, uh, after their elections, I can have more flexibility to deal with the, your missiles and missile treaties and all that stuff. It's like, yeah. It's kind of crazy when you think about it, you know, how many of these guys are actually working together, you know, creating this uh, scenario and how much of it's just political. You know, I don't know. We don't know all their motives and everything, but we do know what the scriptures say. So the Bible deals with seven specific world empires that it outlines in scripture and that we should have an understanding of. And, it's, and, and how you understand, it's like, well, there's been more than seven world empires, but how are we to understand these empires that God specifically reveals in, as the seven heads of the beast in the book of Revelation with ten horns? And the best way I believe to understand them is that each of these empires successively represent empires that oppressed God's people, Israel. And it begins with Egypt. As everybody knows about Egypt, I have to go through that. Then next, what empire rose and took the 10 tribes, took over all of Israel except Judea and Benjamin? That was the Assyrian Empire after Egypt. Then after the Assyrian Empire, what empire came after them? Babylonian. That's number three. What came after the Babylonian Empire? The Medo-Persian Empire. What came after the Medo-Persian Empire? The Grecian Empire. And then what came after the Grecian Empire? The Roman Empire. Okay, that's why in the Greek world or, or the Roman world, most people were speaking Greek at that time. Even though, and Romans were making new roads and everything else. Okay, and that was the sixth empire. Okay. And when John writes the book of Revelation, God reveals to him what's going to happen. He talks about five of these heads of the beast have been, okay? That would be Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and Medo-Persia and Greece. And one is, which one was existing when John wrote the book of Revelation? The Roman Empire, right? And there's this other empire to come, number seven. And that would be the empire, which is described as having 10 horns or 10 toes, depending on the picture that's given that you're looking at. And those are 10 nations that represent the beast. And out of that 10, one would arise, a little horn who would supplant three of those horns, and he would be the Antichrist. And that would be, his, he'd have a 10 nation uh, confederacy whereby he would rule the world. Every nation, people, and tongue, and the mark of the beast would be issued from him so he could be worshiped. So when you understand this, and then you go to the book of Daniel, and as we go through this book, the book Daniel and the book of Revelation a little bit, and Matthew 24 a little bit, the pieces are going to start to fit together, okay? Pieces are going to start to fit together where you can say, ooh, I could see how Putin could be a major player. Or someone will succeed him eventually. Or, you know, maybe he'll fall off the map, but I can see the things aligning just as the Bible says. 
Like I said, we don't know what specific person necessarily. We keep our eye on all these people. Go to the book of Daniel and go uh, to chapter 2. And it's very interesting because in Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar, who is ruling Babylon at the time, Babylon has overtaken, uh, you know, and, and it's not necessarily that the, each of these empires is like ruthless to Israel, but they are successive, uh, mostly to one another. And then they skips to the very end of the age with the last one, but it's related to the other ones. But they're related to one another or they succeed one another and they have something to do with how Israel's treated, you know. And Daniel is in captivity because Jeremiah's prophecies and Ezekiel's and so forth were fulfilled and Isaiah's regarding Babylon going into captivity, right? Now it's interesting, uh, Israel going into captivity or the kingdom of Judah because Assyria had already taken, okay, the second out of the seven. Assyria had already taken the, 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 the northern part of the kingdom, 10 nations. Now the Babylonians come in about 150 years later and they destroy the temple, okay? And there's Daniel in captivity, and God uses people. And keep that in mind. God wants to use us as lights, even in the kingdom of darkness, to shine the light of Christ. Amen? And Nebuchadnezzar has this very, very powerful dream that just stuns him. And he wants an interpretation. So he wants the magi. They have their magicians. Okay? It's like Egypt had Jannies and Jambres, right? He has his magicians just like President Trump had Paula White and others, you know. They got their magicians. And it's interesting. Uh, right now, when you look at this, he's freaking out because he doesn't want the Magi to just give him a bogus interpretation because he doesn't trust them. He knows that they are an heir often. Kind of like the Bethel prophets, they say, we don't know we're true prophets because we get a lot of them wrong. That's how we know we're true prophets. What? That's the opposite of the Bible, you know? The Bible says, man, if you make false prophecies, you're a false prophet. Anyways, he has this powerful dream and he refuses to tell them the dream. Just give me the interpretation. They're like, nobody in the world could ever do this. What are you doing? And then guess what? Because they, 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 they want something at least to make something into, you know? And then God providentially uses Daniel to speak to Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he has this dream of this, this huge metallic image with a head of gold, right? And then the chest and the arms are, are silver. Think of that, two arms, keep that in mind. And then you have the belly of brass and two legs, iron. And then they go into two feet with ten toes, which is a mixture of iron and clay. Remember that? So uh, we're going to hop right to Daniel's interpretation. Daniel chapter 2, verse 36. Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, this was a dream. Now we will tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. As far as earth went at the time, right? To whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. Then your power is, you just have it because God's given you authority. Verse 38. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beast of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand, and has caused you to rule over them all. You are the what? Head of gold. So we know for sure. So he's not going back, counting one through seven, right? He's picking up on the third one, which is the one that's existing then. And he starts with Nebuchadnezzar. 
and Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, uh, it's the head of gold. I wish I had time. If we're studying Daniel, we'd go into gold and how much gold they had and all that, but we're not here to get into verse-by-verse study. Okay, we're more of an outline of the big picture here, okay? So you're the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar. Babylon's depicted by the head of gold. Then he describes another kingdom that will come right after him. After you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you. Okay, so it'll be inferior to him. That was the Medo-Persian Empire. Okay, the Persians were a huge, vast army and the Medes were uh, their cohorts or aligned with them and they were pretty powerful and so forth, the Medo-Persian army. And... uh, they succeeded Babylon. In fact, you remember it's when, when Nehemiah was under the Persian king Artaxerxes, right? That he was able to go and rebuild Jerusalem, which started the countdown of the 77s. So the Medo-Persians took over from the Babylonians and they're typified by the what? The bronze. Well, what about the next one? The, the belly. He says, uh, then in the middle of verse 9, or verse 39, then another th- third kingdom of bronze brass, bronze, which will what? Rule over the, er, all the earth. And what came after the Medo-Persian kingdom? The Grecian kingdom, okay? You know, Hollywood makes movies like the movie 300, you know? And Alexander the Great's uh, special 300 people, you know, took over the Medo-Persian. It didn't really happen like that with 300 people, but he had a very small army compared to the Medo-Persians, but they were incredibly swift, they were fast, man. They just took over the earth so quick. I mean, Alexander was a young guy after he'd taken over the, 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 much of the known world. And the, the, the legend is that he wept because there was no one else to conquer, you know. And he drank himself. We, we don't know for sure. His buddies and him were drinking. And, 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 and they, some believe he died because of drunkenness and alcohol poisoning. We don't know for sure. Uh, but uh, that, was the, that was the third kingdom. Then we read of the fourth kingdom, verse 40. And now I'm not going one through 10. I'm just going with gold now, starting with Babylon. Okay. Then there will be a fourth kingdom as, a, as strong as what? Iron. As much as iron crushes and shatters all things, so like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these, <laughs> all these in pieces. Wow. So, and when the Romans took over, man, just... They just annihilated any kingdom that stood in their way. They started Pax Romana, where we'll let you worship your gods as long as you don't threaten our gods, as long as you pay your taxes to us and we allow us to rule over you. And that was the Roman Empire. So that's the legs of iron. And the Roman Empire was split into what? Two, right? The east, headquartered in Constantinople, which is today Istanbul in Turkey, and Rome which is where the Roman Catholic Church came out of. Okay, now it's interesting. In verse 41, in that you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom, but will have in its, t- uh, in its toughness of iron, like the Roman Empire, as much as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men. But they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting that uh, 
The whole Iron Man figure that defeats the Thanos I am a figure is Iron and Man, right? Which could be a composite picture of this kingdom, you know, that whole idea, you know, uh, of this mixture between uh, an alloy and, and just pottery, a weak kingdom that's mixed. Uh, now, it's interesting here because there'll be 10 toes, right? And he doesn't really tell us, give us a whole lot of detail because it's the final kingdom that the Antichrist comes out of. So he doesn't give us, he doesn't really specify what nation it is because it's for the very end, which is kind of interesting. Well, guess what? It's interesting that the vision God gives him is metallic. Gold, silver, it's like powerful. It, it, it reduces in its, its, its you know, quality of metal as it moves on down, on down from Nebuchadnezzar. But what's interesting about this is God showed Nebuchadnezzar the kingdoms from the vantage point that Nebuchadnezzar would like to best relate to him and how he thought of himself as gold. Not as how God sees him, but as how man sees their kingdoms. How, how, you know, Putin sees his kingdom. God didn't look at what Putin's doing the way Putin looks at it. And it's interesting because later, God gives a similar dream with similar meaning to Daniel the prophet who interpreted this dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And by the way, those magi would have been all put to death, you know, if Nebuchadnezzar or Daniel didn't give that interpretation. And there's a lot going on here I want to get into that I can't because I want to look at these main visions because that's the main thing I want to talk about. But Daniel then gets a vision from the Lord and he sees it from God's perspective, from a prophetic perspective. And God reveals these same kingdoms, but not as these beautiful metals to lesser metals, but as wild, ferocious beasts. In fact, the Antichrist in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation is referred to as the beast. That's how God sees him. One who is ferocious, deadly, untamed, even as Revelation reveals demonic. And pick it up in Daniel chapter 7. Let's look at this. 1 through 8. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions. In his mind, chapter one, uh, 7, verse 1, in his mind he lay on his bed. Then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. The four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. So these four beasts are all different from one another. The first was like a what? A lion. And it had the wings of an eagle. It kept looking until its wings were plucked. And it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind also was given to it. Isn't, that's interesting. So the first one was the lion with eagle wings. By the way, do you know what they found in the last century after several centuries went by? They found the symbol of ancient Babylon, and it was a lion with wings. Isn't that interesting? And by the way, this is just like the head of gold. It's the first one, Babylon. Here we see the first one is Babylon. Again, it's, the same, it's going through the same order, but different, different depictions. Verse 5. And behold, another beast, a second one, resembling a what? A bear. And it was raised up on one side. And three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. And thus they said of it, arise, devour much meat. Now it's interesting, you have this bear. Well, what came after the Babylonian Empire? Which one? The Medo-Persian Empire. Remember, that's silver with 
Nebuchadnezzar's dream with two arms, right? Medo-Persians. Notice now it's a bear, but notice that the bear is what? Lopsided. It's raised up on one side. Why? Because the Persians were way bigger than the Medes, okay? It's a Medo-Persian empire. And now it's this bear, uh, which is very interesting. And then we pick it up at verse 6. After this, I kept looking, and behold, another one like a what? Leopard. What came after the Medo-Persian empire? The, the, the Greeks. Why would the Greeks be compared to a leopard prophetically? Because a leopard's fast and agile, right? And that's what their army was all about. It was, a, it, wasn't, it was like unseen before. Speaking of unseen, did you know this morning I read that President Putin had activated, he got together with his defense ministry and put their nukes on high alert, okay? And a few days ago he said if the United States or anybody else intervenes, right? Speaking more directly, they will see things unleashed in the world that have never been seen before, okay? And we're dealing with, uh, that's why you need to be in prayer, amen? But it's interesting there was, these were things like were, you know, this powerful of an army. Because when the Grecian Empire, Alexander the Great took over, that became the most powerful empire uh, that had ever existed up to that point in time. Uh, and he says, after this, verse 6, I kept looking and behold another one like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. And the beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And Jonathan, if you don't mind, can you bring up uh, this imagery? And then after that, maybe we could look at also the, the statue as well. Verse 7. Oh, by the way, I shouldn't miss this point. Verse 6. After I kept looking, behold, another one like a leopard, which had on its back what? Four wings of a bird. And the beast also had four heads. And dominion was given to it. Why do you think it's emphasizing four wings? Why do you think it's emphasizing four heads? Now, the, the leopard represents who? Greece, Alexander the Great. But it has four heads. Why? We'll talk about that in a little bit. Because guess what? There's another vision that Daniel has that gives us even more detail where we can start to understand who is what. I love this about the Lord. And I've always told you, sometimes you've got to be careful reading prophecy concurrently and because sometimes there's overlapping visions that just give you more detail of what you've already seen. That's why I've told you, when you look at this, the seven seals, don't think that they all happen and then the first trumpet happens. Because after, when the sixth seal happens, it brings you to the very end, okay, uh, at Armageddon. You just read the sixth seal. And then what happens is the trumpets literally will kick in when that seventh seal is open, which is this more revelation, and it shows you when they kick in, juxtaposed to the prayers of the saints between the fifth and the sixth seal when they're crying out to the altar. I, I don't, I'm going to get, I'm going to lose a lot of you guys at this point, but just understand it's not always concurrent. You have to, you have to study it, okay? So you got these four wings, you got these four heads, and dominion was given to it. Okay, that's three out of those four beasts, right? Look at verse seven. After this, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, what? A fourth beast, a dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, right? So it's dreadful, it's terrifying, it's extremely strong. And it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder of its, uh, with its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had what? Ten horns. Now this is very interesting. Because when he goes to the fourth beast, he kind of shows it as a conglomeration of the two legs, right? Or the iron and the clay. Because it's the, he talks about being like the next beast on the horizon. But no, it's not. It's actually going all the way to the very end because it has 10 what? 
this beast has 10 horns. Remember the two legs that were the Roman Empire? But those, those went into what? Two feet, which were a mixture of what? Clay and iron. Now keep in mind, iron's from the legs, right? So it's a continuation of that, that kingdom, that, that Roman Empire seems to be continuing in some way, right? But now it's a mixture with clay. And it's got 10 toes. These 10 toes are 10 nations that give their power to the beast. Now this beast, the Antichrist, or the Antichrist kingdom, has 10 horns, which we read about in Revelation chapter 13 as well, and 17. Uh, and the 10 horns represent 10 nations that give their power to the beast, okay? So uh, oh, that's a good one, Jonathan. You're quick, bro. Good job, man. Uh, and so you got both images together. That's great. So uh, you got the 10 toes of that image with clay and, uh, and of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And then you've got the 10 beasts that Dan, Daniel, uh, that are revealed to Daniel, okay? Uh, and it's interesting because Daniel is watching this until the Ancient of Days comes and he sets up, uh, he's seated on his throne uh, and he takes his seat and so forth. And it's just amazing and God sets up his kingdom and destroys these kingdoms. But the last kingdom is always, it's either the 10 toes at the very bottom of the image, that's the final kingdom with, with mixture of clay and uh, metal, or it's the depicted as that. Now, what's interesting, when he talks about that final beast with the 10 heads, what does he say? It's diverse from the other ones. I mean, it doesn't look like any one of them specifically, and it's diverse, yet there's some iron in it. That, I, when I was a young Christian, I thought, that's interesting. Because then he says, seal up the words of this prophecy at the end of the book of Daniel until the end of days. And then guess what? When you see the final beast in the book of Revelation, God tells John, don't seal up the words of this prophecy. And we get definition as to the identity of the final beast. And when you see the identity, you go, the light's going, boom. You start to see how this takes shape and what we should be looking for prophetically. It's quite fascinating. But before we go there, let's go to Daniel chapter 8 and let's look at a third vision. This one is also given to Daniel where there's even more detail on a couple of these beasts. Daniel chapter 8, we'll cut right to the chase at verse 3. Then I lifted up my eyes and looked and behold a ram which had two horns. Now, a ram that had two horns. When you think of two, what two empires might have something to do with two that we've already looked at? Which ones? The Medo-Persian, right? Okay. Uh, and also the Roman Empire with two legs, but it's only speaking of one of them right now. But we're going to see real quickly which one he's talking about because it precedes another one in succession, so it can't be the Roman Empire. So we see, then I lifted up my eyes and looked and behold, a ram which had two horns was standing in front of the canal. Now the two horns were, uh, now check this out. Now the two horns were long, but one was what? Longer than the other, with a longer one coming up last. Now this more signifies what empire with two? Medo-Persian, because Medo-Persian had the bear, which was what? Larger on one side. Now one of the horns is longer. Just like the Persians were bigger, they were longer. They were a, 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 a bigger, wider, longer army. Uh, it's interesting. And, and we don't have to guess at this. You'll see because he's going to give us some details. Uh, but we, we'd be able to get somewhere without the details, but not as far as we get with the details as far as being having a sense of certainty. So he says in uh, verse 4, I saw the ram 
budding westward, northward, and southward, and no other beast could stand before him, nor was there anyone to rescue from his power, but he did as he pleased and magnified himself. Verse 5, while I was observing, behold, a male goat. Now, right after the ram, there's a male goat was coming from the west over the surface of the whole earth. And it's interesting, he's coming from the west, juxtaposed to Israel, without touching the ground. Wow. And the goat had a had conspicuous, what? Horn between his eyes. He came up to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing in front of the canal. And he rushed at him in his mighty wrath. Now, what came after the Medo-Persian Empire? The what? The Grecian Empire, the leopard, the four-headed leopard, right? So he says, he came up, verse 6, to the ram that had the two horns, which I had seen standing in front of the canal, and rushed at him in his mighty wrath. I saw him come beside the ram, and he was, en and he was enraged at him. And he struck the ram and shattered his two horns. And the ram had no strength to withstand him. So he hurled him to the ground and trampled on him. And there was none to rescue the ram from his power. Verse 8. Then the male goat magnified himself exceedingly. By the way, uh, who would the male goat be? Who is that? Well, we'll see in a little bit. But he did magnify himself exceedingly historically. Uh, verse 8 goes on to say, But as soon as he was mighty, the large horn was broken. And in its place there came up what? How many? Four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Now, guys, the Grecian Empire came after the ram with the two horns, right? One being longer than the other, just like the bear was the Medo-Persian Empire, bigger than so inside. The, 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 the leopard comes. How many heads did the leopard have? Four heads, right? Good job, Jonathan. <laughs> had four heads, right? That was, how come it has four heads? And now what happens here? Now, when the, when the shaggy goat comes and destroys the ram, the one who magnifies himself greatly dies pretty quick. That was Alexander the Great. He magnified himself. He declared himself to be God. Okay? He dies soon. His four gen generals take over, and they spread his kingdom. They take different parts of his kingdom. That's historically a fact. Okay? His kingdom was turned into four other kingdoms. Don't you praise God he's given us his word in advance? Okay? I mean, this is history, guys. We're reading history in advance. Even so much that, and I don't have time to get into it, but one of these leaders was told, hey, you're actually written about right here, supposedly. You know, when he showed up somewhere, he's like, uh-oh. And he didn't attack Israel uh, at that point. But the successors of the Grecian leader, Alexander the Great, four kingdoms arose. And one of those kingdoms was Syria, or the Seleucid Empire, which afflicted much harm on Israel. In fact, the Maccabean Revolt, which we have the books, it's not part of our canon of Scripture because we don't believe it's Scripture, but it is good history to a degree. Uh, it does talk about that revolt under Judah and his sons and so forth. And we, we read about the Maccabean Revolt, which was a fight against that, the leader of the empire, which was Antiochus Epiphanes, who's a picture of the Antichrist. And... So that goes into four. Now, actually, you say, well, this, how do we know that's really, you know, Medo-Persia and Greece and so forth? Well, go ahead and pick it up. Look at verse 
Verse 15, okay, uh, we read, When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it, and behold, standing before me was one who looked like a man. In verse 16, And I heard the voice of a man between the banks of Uli, and he called out and said, Gabriel, give this man an understanding of the vision. Verse 17, okay, verse 17. So he came near to where I was standing, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Son of man, understand the vision uh, pertains to the time of the end. Verse 18. Now while he was talking with me, I sank into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. And he touched me and made me stand upright. He said, Behold, I'm going to let you know what will occur in the final period of the indignation, for it pertains to the uh, appointed time of the end. Then in verse 20 we read, the ram which you saw with two horns represents what? The kings of Media and Persia. There it is. It's exactly who they are. How do you know that? Well, thus saith the Lord. Okay? Don't believe me. Believe your Bible. Amen? Look at the goat in verse 21. It represents Greece. It says the shaggy goat represents the kingdom of Greece. And that's what I love about book of Revelation. A lot of times it's like, oh, why we, how can we? Well, a lot of times God tells us what things mean, right? And then you just put the other pieces. He gives us the main pieces. It's like, a, it's like kids that, man, if they could just see how the puzzle, what's going to look like and how to start it, they'd have an idea. And they don't have the picture of the, the Nebuchadnezzar's uh, magi. Didn't, weren't even given a picture. Weren't even given the puzzle pieces to put together, right? Either was Daniel. But God, who rules from heaven, says, here's the picture, Daniel. And here's what some of the pieces actually mean and we see in verse 21 the shaggy goat represents the kingdom of Greece and the large horn that is between his eyes is the first king that would be Alexander the great Uh, the broken horn of the four horns that arose in its place represents four what four kingdoms which will arise from his nation although not with his power because he's going to be put to death they're going to carve up his kingdom into quadrants And then verse 23, in the latter period of their rule, that's the latter period of their rule, these four kingdoms, right? When the transgressors have run their course, a king will arise, insolent and skilled in intrigue. We know him historically now that arose after this because there's four quadrants now, four places that this four heads of that Grecian empire are ruling. Well, the Syrian quadrant that aspect of the four quadrants was juxtaposed right next to Israel, right? And it was being ruled by Antiochus Epiphanes IV, okay? A type of the Antichrist, a picture of the Antichrist. Verse 24, his power will be mighty, but not by his own power. Because he's going to be used, used by satanic powers. And he will destroy to an extraordinary degree and prosper and perform his will. He will destroy mighty men and the holy people. Verse 25, and uh, through his shrewdness, he will cause deceit to succeed by his influence, and he will magnify himself in his heart. Oh, boy, did he. Okay. In fact, uh, he actually literally called himself Theos Epiphanes, uh, speaking, you know, that he, he was God. Antiochus is God. Okay. And so uh, goes on to say uh, in verse yeah, 20, uh, there at the end, or 26 now, the vision of the evenings and mornings which had been told is true, but keep the vision secret, for it pertains to many days in the future. Then I, Daniel, was exhausted and sick for days. 
Then I got up again and carried on the king's business. But I was astounded at the vision, and there was none to explain it. Wow. So, uh, Antioch's Epiphanes, uh, you know, he literally, in the second century BC, okay, uh, he ruled the Seleucid uh, Empire, the Syrian Empire, who oppressed Israel. Uh, he called himself Theos, which is the Greek word for God, Epiphanes, he's Greek. That's Theos, that's, that's uh, Antiochus is God, you know. And it's interesting, he outlawed Jewish customs. He forbade them to worship on the Sabbath. He, uh, if you got a hold of the Word of God, Torah, because he's explained there in, in Tanakh, right? In Daniel, right? Uh, if you were to take, a, and that, by the way, with the book of Daniel, the Essenes who buried all these books, you know, uh, have copies of the book of Daniel. In fact, they have so many frag, different fragments for the book of Daniel, which a lot of scholars will say that indicates Daniel was written long before that because they had different fragments from the book of Daniel. So it was written long before this actually happened. Okay, we know that already. I'm just saying there's a lot of evidences I don't have time to get into at this point. And I've got a whole message for when we ever go through the book of Daniel on just one message on the date in the book of Daniel. And the more you look at it, the more obvious it is, man, this book came way before these events took place. So it's interesting. Uh, so I'm talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls. You know, they found all kinds of fragments to the book of Daniel. Uh, and they were buried too in the second century. Uh, Antioch's Epiphanes is uh, forbidding them. If you get caught with Torah, you get killed. It's a capital offense, okay? He abominated the temple, a picture of the Antichrist. He had pigs slaughtered, which were unclean to the Jews, and smeared their blood on the walls. He put up flags and Jew, uh, Greek standards of their gods. He put a statue of himself up in there with the, the body of Zeus, which was a picture of Satan because he's the head of the Olympian gods, head of the false gods, which is Satan. And he put his head on the top of Zeus in the temple. Put out coins with him on one side and Zeus on the other and so forth. So uh, it's really amazing because he was a really powerful picture of the Antichrist. Now it's interesting. You go to Daniel chapter 12 and you read about the six, nine sevens and the Messiah we cut off. We don't have time to get into that. We've done a number of messages on that through the years. But after the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, there'd be 69.7, which was 455 years. Or I'm sorry, 445 or 444 years, uh, depending on the historians, from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, which brings you to the very time Christ was crucified. And it says, after those years, the Messiah will be cut off. In the Old Testament, about 900 years before Christ came. Amazing. But then he talks about that last seven of the 77s. Because there's 69 sevens, Messiah's cut off. Then there's that last seven-year period, which is the tribulation period. The great tribulation period is the second half of that seven years. That's still future, right? But look what it says in verse 27, which I think is very interesting. 26 and 27. Then after the 62 in weeks, and, and she's mentioned this, the, the uh, seven weeks too. Uh, and then this, after the 62, that would be 62 plus that 7 that happened in verse 26, which is 69. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince to come or who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Well, who came after Jesus was crucified just a few decades later and destroyed the city and the sanctuary? What empire was ruling? The Romans, right? And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one what? Week, one, one Shabuah, one seven-year period. 
But in the middle of the week, in the middle of those seven years, he would put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations, that's the daily sacrifice, which should happen twice, which was a, both a picture of Christ. Both sacrifices, one happened when Christ was, was first put on the cross, and the other one happened right when Christ was taken off the cross, historically before Christ even died. It was a picture of Jesus. They'll put an end to that sacrifice, the Antichrist will. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until complete destruction, one that is decreed and is poured out on the one who makes desolate. What's really interesting, according to Josephus, who was a contemporary of the Apostle Paul, a first century historian, he says that the Romans weren't going to destroy the temple. And there was this insurrection among the Jews, 68, 69, 70, the Romans had been circling Jerusalem. He said a Syrian conscript, because the Syrians hated the Jews, flung arrows into the temple, caught fire, melted the gold to get to the gold. The Romans threw the stones off of each other and so forth. If Joseph is to be believed, to be believed, those who destroyed the sanctuary were the Syrians. Isn't that interesting? Antioch's Epiphanes, represented by the leopard, right? And Syria is a Syrian empire. Syrians are right next to Israel, right? Depicted by the leopard, okay? Now, this is all fascinating. And Jesus talked about this final kingdom to come. He gives it to us in the book of Revelation. It's his revelation after all. Amen. And in Matthew 24, verse 15, Jesus said to his apostles, he didn't say you're going to get out of this whole thing and you'll be a preacher of rapture. Don't worry about it. He said to his apostles, the early disciples, when you see, you plural pronoun, you guys, if they were to live at that time, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, stand in the holy place, flee to the wilderness. Right? And so that's still future. And then Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, right? 2 through 4 says, and 1 through 4, concerning Christ's coming and our being gathered together to him, his coming, our being gathered together to him. Don't let him see you by any means. He talks about this. That won't happen until two things happen first. So we've fallen away. What? What else? And the man of sin, the son of perdition, will sit in the temple of God, show himself that he is God. That's the abomination of Thessalonians. That's the coming Antichrist. And the book of Revelation, which was written in 90, in the 90s, long after 70 AD, you have a lot about the coming Antichrist and him ruling the world and causing people to worship him. So, what does this have to do with what's going on now? Well, go to Revelation chapter 13, where we're told what that beast looks like because this book is not sealed. And we're just told that that beast is quite diverse, right? We're told that he's a diverse looking beast. And in the book of Daniel, and we just got some iron teeth. We got stuff, a few things about him, but we don't know a whole lot. We do know that he has 10 toes and or 10 horns, depending on the picture, right? Well, look at verse 1. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having 10 horns. We know this is the final beast. It has what? 10 horns, right? And seven heads. That would be Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then he says five are. Or five have been, one is, that's Rome. And then there'll be a seventh. That would be the seventh head, which he's going to describe right here, that last one with the 10 heads, 10 horns. And on his horns were what? And you can put a picture of that one up too, Jonathan. That one's pretty gnarly. Uh, and on, if, you, if you can, that'd be great. Thanks, bro, if you can find one. Uh, and seven heads. And on his horns were 10 diadems, crowns. And on his heads were what? Blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a What? Woo, what is the very first thing mentioned? Where did the leopard consolidate its power against Israel with Antioch's Epiphanes? What nation? Syria. 
who according to Josephus are the ones who destroyed the sanctuary, the Syrians. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, Syria. And his feet were like those of a bear. The bear is what empire? The Medo-Persian empire. What's Persia today? Iran. We have Syria and we have Iran. And his mouth is like the mouth of a lion. Who is the lion? The lion was the head of gold. Who is the lion? Babylon. What's Babylon today? No, what's literal Babylon today? Not mystery Babylon. Don't confuse everybody. What's literal Babylon? I'm messing around. But what's literal Babylon? Iraq. A trifecta. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. That's Satan. Dragon, Satan, Revelation chapter 12, verses nine, verse 9. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain and his fatal wound was healed and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened up his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him and so forth. Worldwide religion, world worship. Worldwide geopolitical situation, he's ruling with an iron fist. Now this, this uh, final beast was diverse, but now we see it's diverse because it's actually made up of, it's composite of what? What three nations come to mind when you see these images? Syria, who else? Iran and Iraq. Guess what? The Muslims, they declare on the Temple Mount, Allah is God and he has no what? He has no son. And if, if you think of one, one nation that most of the Muslims want to see go down in the Middle East, guess who it is? Israel. And they want to take the Temple Mount. That's their third most holy site. Not by accident, guys. Okay? And I want to get into Gnosticism, the history of that. In fact, uh, Chad played a clip of myself and then he also discussed it and went into some depth of Gog and Magog and this whole thing that we'd been, we're talking about here and played a clip that I gave when I was speaking. I think that was from Texas, right, Chad? Uh, in, that, in that talk where we go into, it gets deeper. But next week we'll get, we'll get even deeper. Deeper than this, yeah. It gets deeper than this, okay? So check it out, but know this much right now. Syria and Iran are the greatest allies in the Middle East to guess who? Putin, okay? The most pronounced allies, I should say, that stand against Israel. Israel, I'm sorry, in Syria, and I've been, I've been on the Syrian border. I've looked across at their military installments more than once in Israel, in the Golan Heights, which Russia, I think, just said, no, that really belongs to Syria. And you know who's in Syria right now? The Russians, of course, the Syrians, and the Iranians. It just so happens that the Syrians and the Iranians are Shiite Muslims who are looking forward to this coming imam that will come and rule the world and destroy the people of the cross. That's us. And in all these mosques around the world, they say when their Messiah comes, you know, he's going to say, you know, there's a Jew hiding behind me if he's a rock. If it's a tree, it'll say there's a Jew behind me. Come and kill it. And they're preparing. And many of them believe, because some hadiths will talk about how it'll be a seven-year period of reign that he'll rule for. 
and that they'll behead people. Well, that's how Muslims kill people today. And the Bible says they'll behead those that don't take the mark of the beast. And they hand out gifts after terrorist attacks. When the two witnesses are killed, guess what happens? I always thought it was strange when I was a newer Christian. Well, the two witnesses are killed and they're all giving gifts to each other. Never seen that before. That's typical in the Muslim world now. Do you think if they hand out gifts when they bomb some bus or something, but they're not going to hand them out when the two witnesses who oppose the Antichrist are finally killed? Are you, any of you with me? I, didn't ha I don't have time to develop, which I'm going to do next time we get together, Putin and something that's even bigger and how it ties in with not just Islam, but how it ties in with false Christianity and where all this is headed, guys, and where we could be fitting in, okay, uh, and to this big picture. But... Uh, it's absolutely mind-boggling. Now, you realize that Russia and Iran co-founded, they're the primary co-founders of the GSS, which is ex ex the uh, uh, GSS Exporting, Exporting Forum, which exports about 70% of the world's gas. You realize that? They export about 70% of the world's gas. And these guys are the primary founders, okay? Iran and Russia. They have a stranglehold on much of the world's energy. That's why there's very little opposition. People don't want to mess with Russia, not only because of the nukes, but also because that's how we keep our houses warm. Just so weird how everything is lining up. Now, if, if you showed me that Russia just has an alliance with Kuwait, you know, and some other, uh, it wouldn't even make sense. But it makes total sense. That's why I believe that, you know, uh, Putin, if not Putin, Russia can very well play because these these Iran Syria yeah Iran's got some they're trying to get nuclear power but nuclear weapons and stuff right but they're nothing compared to Russia who's one of the top three world powers by far who could annihilate every human on earth probably several times with their nukes were you able to follow this guess what if you weren't able to follow it just listen again and then just again maybe and just until you get it because God wants us to know these things, amen? Wants to be aware of what's going on. And are you hearing about this on Fox News and CNN? No. Because they're saying, what's going on? And we're able to say, this is where it's all headed. Whether this happens in our day and this all manifests right before our eyes right now, I'm not saying that. I'm just showing you this is what it looks like at the end and this is where it looks like it's all headed, doesn't it? It's, it's, it's crazy. It's, but you know what? Uh, I'm going to end with some good news. Go to chapter 2, verse 44 and 45. Daniel 2, 44 and 45. And this is after Nebuchadnezzar has his, you know, this is at the end of his dream. And this stone comes out. He's like admiring, wow, the head of gold. And look at this thing. And a stone comes out, cut out without hands, and just smashes it and pulverizes this whole statue. And we read what that is. And Daniel says, in the days of those kings, that's those final 10 kings that give their power to the beast. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms because they're conglomerate at the end in that final kingdom. But it will, it will itself endure forever. As much as you saw that the stone was cut out, of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed it and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, and the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Amen. And then 
In Revelation chapter 11, or chapter 19, 11 through 21, Jesus comes on his white horse, having many diadems, amen, and the sword protruding from his mouth, amen, a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords, amen. He's the, the word of God, amen. And his, his, uh, his robe is dipped in blood, man. He comes to tread the mighty uh, winepress of God. And the Bible talks about how he will defeat, in verses 19 through 20, one, the beast and the false prophet. They'll be thrown alive in the lake of fire. Their, their, the, 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 our, their armies will be just wiped out as well. And then we read chapter 20 that he sets up his thousand-year reign, amen, and the millennial kingdom begins. And we'll reign with him, it says, for a thousand years, amen, and then we'll be with him forever and ever as New Jerusalem comes from the heavens to the earth and we're with our king and we have a happily forever after ending, amen. But before, before the happy ending, there is tribulation. And our job during times of tribulation, during times of trial, as believers, what can we do? What, you're saying, what can we do? They're just, well, guess what? You, we're called to be ambassadors, amen? We're, we represent the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says we're citizens of heaven, amen? And the Bible says to not focus on earthly things, but focus on his kingdom. And Jesus said, pray, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? And he'll add all our needs to us. And Jesus said, pray, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And guess what? A lot of Christians are more focused on their kingdom here, what they could have here, material wealth and everything else. And we should be focused on getting people in the Lord's kingdom, amen? And we follow the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and we will stand in defiance of any king, any president, any leader, any governor that tells us to go contrary to God's word, amen? And we need to take a stand for Jesus, guys, okay? I mean, we get threats, and <laughs> you wouldn't believe, you know, off and on, you know? Just uh, uh, sometimes more direct. I got direct threats quite a bit in the past, and we just get uh, more, I should say, saber-rattling, you know, kind of things. And, uh, but that's true. All of us Christians are going to be threatened by the evil one, amen? Uh, I just want to encourage you guys that pray for our Marvel video that's going out March 4th to the public. Amen? And if you can't afford it, anybody listening to me online as well, you're like, man, because it's three nine nine, I think, for the rental. It's cheaper than the Starbucks. But if you say, oh, I can't afford that, write into Good Fight and care of Tony. Uh, Tad will get it to him and we'll get you a free code to where you can watch it for free. But uh, that's coming out March 4th. And uh, you can rent it or you can buy it for eight ninety nine. And we just want the truth out there, amen? It'll blow you away. I feel bad if you missed it because you would be way more knowledge about what's really, I mean, like this stuff. It's such a blow of mine. You'd be like, this is so for real. You need to see it if you didn't see it. How many of you that saw it would say, yes, please see it, right? Amen, okay, because it it's, it's, it's jaw-dropping. Uh, we love you guys. But you know what? Jesus said this. He's the stone that the builders rejected, he said. He quoted Old Testament passage. The stone that the builders rejected. And he said, that there, of that stone, he said, those who come to him will be broken. If you come to Jesus, you'll be broken, amen? You'll humble yourself, amen? But those who refuse to come to him, he said, will be crushed. Jesus said, he that's not with me is against me, amen? To not make a choice for him is to make a choice against him, amen? We're accountable for the knowledge God has given us in his word. We need to make sure we're following Jesus and that we receive his grace and his forgiveness because he is the coming king of kings and the Lord of lords. Okay, and he's going to come and roll with a rod of iron. Make sure you're right with Jesus. Understand, he's a good king. He died for you on the cross. What more could you ask for than that? No king does that. He died and took your sins upon himself to pay for your sins so you could be forgiven, so you could be right with him through repentant faith, turning to him in faith, saying, I, I turn from loving darkness and I embrace you as my Lord and Savior. You'll pass from death to life if you put your faith in Jesus. Amen.
And that's a good, that's the good news, man. Do it now before it's too late because he's not just judging Putin and the wicked. He's judging all the wicked. Amen. Praise God. Love you guys. Can we all please stand?